interesting. Um, all right, so I know it's Super Bowl Sunday. Um, I know that there are a lot of Bengals fans here today. Who day? There we go. All right, so there we go. We got that out of the way. That's great. Here's the deal, though, all right? So we kicked off this, this final act of Romans last week, and really it kind of brought everything that we've talked about for the last almost five months into this kind of moment where we realize that all of this, what it leads us to and where it lands, is us. The only reasonable and logical way for us to respond with our lives to God's grace and mercy is with everything, right? To offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, right? A heart that gives itself, that gives all of who we are to God, right? For his glory to do his, to, to, to engage in his mission, right? Like that, that's what it means. Like that's the only logical way for us to worship, for us to respond. It's with all of us, right? And that leads to a renewed mind, a mind that is transformed, not deformed, right? A mind that's transformed by the Spirit, renovated, renewed by the Spirit, not deformed by the pattern of the world, right? So that leads us to kind of what we're going to talk about today. Now, here's the deal. As I kind of prayed through, wrote, studied this week, I, I kind of came to this place, I just need to be super honest with you, um, that I feel like, and I've been doing, I've been in ministry for almost 20 years. In fact, it's, I think this year will be 20, my 20th year in ministry working in churches. And I've preached a lot of sermons, but this one I feel like might be the most important one I've ever preached, right? And I don't say that because of what I have to say. I say that because as I read this and as I prayed through this, and as our elders, I even texted our elders, I talked with some of our staff, like, hey, listen, this, this, what we're going to talk about, what we're going to unpack today, they're not just words on a page, even though they're kind of famous, these are famous verses in Romans 12 they are going to unpack, it just feels like for where our church is, where what we've come through, where we are, and what God wants to do through us, this today just feels like, I'm just going to be real with you, one of the most important words from God that I feel like is for us, right? They're all important, but this one, for whatever reason, as I prayed through it this week, it's like, man, this one is a big deal. So here's what I'm going to ask you. Don't tune out, right? I know sometimes it's easy, right, to, to tune out, to go on autopilot, like to just kind of power down in moments like this because you kind of know the flow. It's like Brad's going to talk for a little bit, and then when the band comes up, they'll start playing music, and then we sing, and then we all go home, and then I get to get ready for my Super Bowl party. Okay, here's the deal. I'm just a, today, don't tune out, right? Stay with me. Let's stay, let's stay plugged in and checked in. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into, uh, again, the word that is not from, I don't think, this is not because I think, oh, this is great, it's going to be a lot of fun. It really is because I really think that what God wants to do as us as people and as a church is set us free, right? And turn us loose in some really cool ways. So um, let's pray together. Jesus, this morning, what an amazing morning it's been just to encounter your spirit, your presence at work in us. So, so God, my prayer this morning is, as your spirit we know is present with us here in this moment, Lord, that, that that renovation process we've been talking about, that renewal, that, that going in and, and, and pulling things out and establishing new things in us, would your spirit today do a new work? We pray today that your spirit would do a new work in us. That, that as we begin to give ourselves to you as a living sacrifice, as you're renewing our minds, transforming who we are, Lord, today, this would be a day we walk out and go, nothing ever can be the same ever again. Everything is changing. Everything has changed. Everything will change. Why? Because of Jesus. So God, that is my prayer this morning as we unpack your word, as we dive into your word together as a family, as a church. Lord, I pray today that we can tune out the distractions, that we can tune out the things that, that maybe we walked in here with just for a second so we can pay attention to what you want to say. Jesus, you are so good and we love you. Let me pray. Everybody said. All right, so we're going to start. I got, grab your Bibles. You got your Bible or a Bible app. You need those. Today we're going to be in Romans 12. 
Uh, last week, we just talked about the first two verses. So today, we're going to start in verse 3. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, we have Bibles in the back on the table. They are free. You can have them. You can take them home, right? You can take that home with you. You can write in it, take notes, whatever. If you've got a Bible app, that's great on your phone. You can use that. Again, it's one of those mo- mornings where I think, I think, I can't remember. I lost count. But I know I had at least three cups of coffee, right? We're going fast, okay? We're going to go fast today because there's a lot of things to talk about and dial in on. So, again, there may be moments you just want to grab your smartphone or you want your, your phone. What smartphone? Everybody has smartphones now pretty much. Just your phone, right? And take a picture of the screen because we're going to keep rolling. So here's what it says, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. It says, For the, by, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all of the others. See, I read this this week, and as I was studying this, I read an N.T. Wright quote, and I've been quoting him a lot lately, but this is a really good quote. Says, he says this, one of the first things, as we talk about answering this question of what does it look like to live the Christian life, really? Because that's what the, this kind of final act in Romans is going to ask and answer this question. What does it look like for you and I to live the Christian life? And we started answering that question last week. The first step is with our being, not just with our doing. Living the Christian life is about who we are, not just what we do. And as we allow God, as we become living sacrifices with renewed minds, right, we allow the spirit to renovate, we begin to kind of wrap our brains around what's coming. And this is what N.T. Wright has to say. One of the first things that Christians need to wrap their renewed minds around that will have an immediate impact on how we live, and that's this. It's the call to live as different and unique members of a single family. This is a game changer. Think about this for a second, okay? Every single person. Every single person that has chosen to place their trust, their faith, their lives in the hands of Jesus, they've been rescued, they've been redeemed, they've been restored, they've been reconciled in their relationship with God through Jesus. They are being renovated by the Holy Spirit, right, so that God can, his presence can live within them. Just like you and just like I have, our stories might be different. Here's the thing. Our stories might look different. The way that we came in contact with, the way that we came into this relationship with Jesus, all of those things are going to be unique. No two stories are ever alike, and that's a beautiful thing. We've all, but here's the thing that we hold in common. Every single one of us in this place who has chosen to trust Jesus, we've all been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. That's the same. It's the same. That has to change how we see ourselves and how we see others. Right, what we would call this is as, as we begin to live a life that is a living sacrifice, as our minds are transformed and renewed by the Holy Spirit, we then begin to gain a healed view of self. We see ourselves differently. The way we see ourselves and the people around us, which if we conform and deform to the pattern of the world, that view of self is broken, and we know that. Why? We see it everywhere. We see it in social media. We see it in mental health. We see it everywhere. We see the effects of what a damaged, broken, and hurt view of self looks like. But as we step into this Christian life, as we step into what we call here at Adventure, the with God life, that view of self begins to heal and is put back together. Paul goes on, he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, here's how we view ourselves. This is what it looks like to have a healed view of self. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though once we regarded Jesus this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, 
the new is here. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? How that is, that's no longer conforming and deforming to the pattern of the world, but it's being transformed by the renewing our spirit, the, the, the giving our lives as a living sacrifice. And what that leads to is a healed view of how we see ourselves and how we see others. The Holy Spirit begins to put that together. We see ourselves not as something old, not as damaged goods, not as broken, not as, not as irreparable, right? But we see ourselves now as something new. And it doesn't, here's the thing, church, it doesn't get more special and it doesn't get more significant than being loved, being chosen, and being saved by Jesus. It doesn't get more special than that. You don't get more loved than that ever in your life. One quote I read this week says this, being loved unconditionally by the Almighty God makes you and I quite special enough. There's no need to imagine that anything or anyone else can make you any more special. See, that's that broken view of self. That broken view of self says, I need, I need to feel special. I need to be made special. And I'm going to look everywhere I can to find this. But in this healed view of self, we realize it doesn't get any better than the love of Jesus. It do, I don't get more loved by anything or anyone than by Jesus. And because of that, I'm special. And here's why that matters. When we have a healed view and understanding of ourselves and other people in light of the gospel, we can lean into the fact that we were all at some point broken, messy, and lost. We were all at some point equally separated from God because we were stuck in these patterns of sin, right? And we talked about what sin means. Sin means it's we de-God God, right? We look at God and say, listen, I know you got a plan for this, and I know your plan is good, and I know you created all this life stuff, but I think I can do life better than you, God, so get out of my life. That's what it looks like. Get out of my way. Let me do what I want to do. Right? So we all were stuck in that same pattern. So we were all equally separated from God. And here's the thing. When we say yes to Jesus, we are all equally saved by God through Jesus. So here's the truth, right? Take this, write this down. Take a picture of this. No one is more saved than anyone else. It's important to know that. There is no such thing as kind of saved. There's no such thing as super saved. Well, I'm really saved, right? Like, you're kind of saved, but I'm really saved, right? There's just saved. There's just saved by grace through faith. Now, here's the thing. There might be differences. There might be differences in our experience and our level of maturity, right? There, there might be some of us who have been believers and followers of Jesus for a really long time. Some of us might be new to this whole church thing, new to this whole Jesus thing. We've been investigating Jesus for a while. Like, we're just kind of checking him out, and that's okay. But here's the thing. Let me just say this. If you're a mature Christian, if you're someone that's followed Jesus for a long time, you know this, right? Like, you know this, right? I'm, like this, I'm just putting this in there, right? You know this. If you're a mature Christian, being more mature in your relationship with Jesus means that you act, actually think less about yourself. And you think more about and you think more of other people. That's what it means. That's a great sign. That's a great sign of someone who is more mature in their relationship with Jesus is they think less about and less of themselves, and they think more about and more of other people. Specifically, how to serve people that might be newer believers. So if we're mature believers, that's, that's how we think, right? Loaded question. Now here's why all this matters, okay? I listened to a podcast this week of, of a handful of pastors, a handful of church leaders, talking about the future of the church and the current state of the church. And they talked about this, and one of the things they said in this conversation that I thought was really interesting was, you know, as we look at kind of the state and culture of the world, especially what we've been through, 
I mean, just how polarized everything is, how divided everything is, how much animosity there is right now in our world for everything, right? I'm not going to get political. I'm not going to go into all that junk, but you know what I'm talking about, okay? Here's what they said. If we want to see an end, if we want to see an end to racism, if we want to see an end to manipulation, if we want to see an end to a culture, society that takes advantage of people, if we want to see an end, if we want to see an end to, to inequality, if we want to see an end to all those things, it has to happen in the church first. The church cannot be a place where racism exists. The church cannot be a place where we manipulate and take advantage of other people. The church cannot be a place where people experience inequality. You know, they talked about the fact that, like, a lot of times we preach on this stuff. We preach on reconciliation, reconciling relationships, dealing with relationships, putting relationships back together. If you've got an issue with somebody, it's going and dealing with that. It's biblical, by the way. We preach about reconciliation in here, and the thing is, we, go, we, we challenge everybody to go do it out there. Reconcile your relationships. Make sure that, you, that you're not holding on to anything against anybody else. Make sure that you're not holding on to, to somebody else's debt, somebody else's weight, somebody else's junk, right, that they've done to you, that pain, that hurt. Make sure, like, do that. We do that out there. We don't do it in here. Like, there are relationships that are fractured and damaged with people that are sitting two rows in front of you. And it's like, I'm fine doing that with my neighbor or my coworker, but I won't do it here. We can't expect, we cannot expect this to look, change, be any different if we're not willing to do in here what we challenge each other and what we talk about doing out there. And this was kind of like the mic drop moment of this kind of podcast. They said this, the church would be more attractive and would be more trustworthy to a non-believing world if we just demonstrated in here to one another what we long to do and who we long to be out there. And all God's people said, ouch, right? Here's the truth. As we talk about the church, as we talk about living this Christian life, what does it look like to live a Christian life? What does it look like to live the with God life? Here's the truth. The evidence. We talked last week about how our conduct and our character are evidences of God's grace and mercy at work in our lives. Well, here's some more evidence. The evidence of a heart that seeks to be a living sacrifice. The evidence of a renewed mind, the evidence of a healed view of self and others can be found in these three areas. How you think about the church, how you think about people in the church, and how you include yourself in the life of the church. Let me explain what I mean by this, right? We can leave this up here for a second. Think about, think about this. How do you think about church? How do you think about church? If it's just something that's like, all right, I got to check some boxes, I got to show up. I got to check some boxes, I got to be here, my family wants to go, so I'm going to take them. Right, but it is. It's like I tune out, and and really, this doesn't really matter, right? I know I get it. Sometimes it's like the most faithful and thing that we can do, and the only thing we can do some Sundays or some mornings is just show up, and that's okay. But I'm talking about like when you think about church, it's just it's a chore. It's an activity. Just get through it so I can get on to everything else I want to do in my day. How do you think about the people in the church? Are they your brothers and sisters, or are they just people that you kind of sit next to and? Maybe during that turn and greet time when it's not super awkward, you go up and say hi and you introduce yourself to them, but you can never remember their name. Hey, dude, right? Good to see you again, man, right? We use that a lot. Like, I, I get that. How do, you, how do you actively include yourself in the life of the church? What does it look like in your life right now to include yourself in the life of the church? It's like, ah, you know, I, I would just much rather come and sit and consume, right, than, than actually go and produce, I'd rather sit and consume everything here than actually go and produce gospel fruit. See, here's the thing. That's why this is an evidence. It's an evidence of a Christian life. We've got to think about this. 
How do you think about the church? How do you think about people in the church? And how do you actively include yourself in the life of this place? And that's why when we think about this, Paul, he refers to us as one body. And he does this three different times. There's three different moments and three different letters when Paul refers to the church as one body. And one of the longest ones, kind of the most detailed one, comes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says this, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, all of its many parts form one body. Just want to make sure we get that, right? He says it twice. So it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We all were given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but many. It says, in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? We skipped over a section just because we don't have time, okay? We skipped over a section in here where, where he goes through and he talks about how the eye can't look at the ear and say, I don't need you, or the hand can't look at the face and say, I don't need you, even though sometimes we want to do that, right? Like he talks about these different types of different parts of the body. He says, like, these parts can't say to the other parts that, that they don't need them, because they do. He says, God puts the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that it lacks, so there should be no, what does it say? No division, in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. See a difference? This is Paul saying, look, when you think of the church, when you think about people in the church, when you think how you're going to be actively involved in the life of the church, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. We want that question answered. What does the with God life look like? What does a Christian life look like? It looks like this. Tim Chaddock says this, he says, the church is not an organization, but rather an organism that grows and works together for the sake of expressing the gospel. Here's the deal, church. We find unity. Every one of us, we find unity in the same gospel, the same gospel that saves us all. We strengthen that unity, church, in the way that we treat, the way we treat each other. And like Paul says, we belong to one another. You may have walked in this morning thinking, I didn't think I was going to hear this. I, was gonna think, I didn't think that I belonged to the person sitting. You do, right? You do. Each part of the body does something different, but we cannot function without one another. When one part of us suffers, we all suffer. When one part of us gets celebrated, we all celebrate. When one, party, when one part of our body is sick or hurt, it affects the whole body. And here's what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean when one part of us is sick or hurt, when one part of us is dealing with marriage issues, when one part of us is, deal is dealing with financial issues, when one of us is dealing with addictions or struggles or things like that, it does not mean when one part of us is sick that we cut that part off and we throw it away. It does not mean that. We don't cut it off. We don't throw it away. We don't distance ourselves. We don't push people out the door who are sick, hurt, and broken. We run to them so, to, so as to bring healing put it back together so that we can really truly be who we need to be. We talked a few weeks ago about what the gospel does, how the gospel works. And we know what the gospel is, but what does the gospel do? Here's, what it, here's another thing that it does. The gospel brings us from a culture, a world that champions independence, and it brings us into a life of interdependence. We depend on one another. We count on each other. For care. We count on each other for compassion. We count on each other for grace and for mercy. Church is not a spectator sport. 
church is not a buffet to simply come in and consume the things you want. And if we don't serve up what you want, you can just go out the door and find a different one. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. The church is not the latest, coolest restaurant that just opens. You can go in and get your spiritual food. And if you don't get served the way you want to get served, and you don't get served up what you want to eat that day, well, peace out. I'm just going to go to the next one. Don't treat church like you treat a restaurant. It doesn't work that way. It's a body. We are a body. We are a family joined together and held together by Jesus. And we are empowered by the Spirit. It says this, Paul goes on, Romans 12, verse 6. He says, we've got different gifts. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement, he says. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. This is what the Christian life looks like. See, in this Christian life, not only are we a body that's connected to, that's united with, that's fully dependent on one another, we've also been given gifts by God. And those gifts are intended to be used to serve each other and to care for one another. Here's the truth, saying yes to the gospel when, you, when we say yes to the gospel and you trust Jesus, right, you join and you become part of a body, which is the church. And that means when you do that, you are on the receiving end of supernatural spiritual gifts that are given to you by God to us, right, so that they can be used to serve the church and others. That's the point of these. But it's, been, it's important for us to know. As we look at these spiritual gifts today, as we unpack what these look like and how we're supposed to use them and why they matter, it's important for us to know where these gifts come from and how we got to use them, right? One author I read this week said this, God determines the giving and God empowers the using. It's important for us to keep that in our minds. God, God determines the giving and he's the one that empowers the using. Like Paul says in verse 6, spiritual gifts are a product of grace. And grace, for us, the way we define that is it's receiving what you need instead of what you deserve. You and I, we do not deserve to be given gifts from God. That's just the truth. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. We do not deserve being given spiritual gifts from God, right? We don't deserve to then be empowered by his spirit to use them. You didn't earn that. You're not entitled to it. You don't have a claim on it. We didn't earn that right. When it comes to spiritual gifts, what I've found is that we usually tend to operate kind of on two ends of a spectrum, right? One end is that there's pride. There's pride. And in, in this pride place, on this end of the spectrum, what we like to think is that we believe we earned it. Like, it's my spiritual gift. I've got this spiritual gift. It's mine. I earned this. God looked at me and said, Brad, you deserve this spiritual gift, so I'm going to give it to you. You've earned it. Good job, buddy. Keep it up. And the crazy thing about this is we begin to own it. It's my spiritual gift. Start talking about my spiritual gift of this, that, or the other. It ain't yours. It's not mine. It's given to us by God. But here, when we operate on this end of the spectrum and pride takes over, here's the thing. We start to become, we start to become ungrateful for this gift. Like we're no longer grateful for it. We just say, thanks, God. We, I earned this. I deserve this. I better have this. We become entitled to it. And let me just tell you this, being, being ungrateful or being unthankful, like that, is, like, like that is the essence, especially with God, it's the essence of de-godding God. It's the essence of sin. I don't need to say thank you, God, because I earned this. 
It's just not true. The other end of that spectrum, right, believes that we are too broken, we are too messy, that God will never give us this gift. See, on that end, there's pride. On this end, there's shame. And shame says, I, 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 can't, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. So God's never going to give me any kind of spiritual gifts. Here's the truth, church. Again, if you're right, taking notes down, you want to grab a picture, here you go. Spiritual gifts are not given to you, nor are they held back from you because of you. That's just the truth. Spiritual gifts are not given to you, nor are they held back from you because of you. God determines the giving, and God empowers the using. It's not an issue of worthiness or unworthiness from our perspective. Because the truth is, we are unworthy. It's not an issue of worthiness or unworthiness from our perspective. It's a matter of strategy from God's perspective. You look at the moment in Pentecost in Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit comes through and shows up, right, for the first time in the apostles' lives, right? It's strategic. God blew through, the Spirit blew through this room and made a noise at a time when Jerusalem was crowded, at a time when people from all over the world had come to Jerusalem for a festival. The Spirit made a loud noise so that people would come see what was going on, and when people from all over the world came to see what was going on, they heard the apostles sharing the gospel in their native language, the apostles couldn't do that before. The apostles couldn't speak different languages before. But the Spirit enabled them to do that for that moment, for that time. Why? Because it was strategic. Jesus had just told the apostles, you're going to share my gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, and one end of the earth to the other. Right? Well, in this point in time, one end of the earth to the other was pretty much in their backyard. And so they get to hear the gospel. These people who had come from all over the world get to hear the gospel spoken to them in a language that they can understand. It's strategic. And to take it one step further, when it comes to these spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit is 100% necessary when it comes to producing supernatural type results, right? Simply functioning in our own strength and you're thinking that you own this gift and I'm going to exercise this gift on my own terms how I want to do it. Let me just tell you this, exercising that gift that way, functioning in your own strength will never bring about the results that God says are possible. It'll never bring about the results that God truly desires. One author I read this week said this, operating in our own power will only ever result in natural outcomes. Allowing the Holy Spirit to transform and empower natural abilities or, or to establish new abilities in us will produce supernatural results that bear new kingdom fruit and advance new kingdom initiatives. Where do our gifts come from? From God. He determines the giving and he empowers the using. Our goal as a unified body should be to see the Holy Spirit at work in each other. Because it's a gift from God. It's a gift of grace intended to advance God's kingdom through us. No one spiritual gift displays the work of the Holy Spirit more or less than another. No one spiritual gift is less important than another. There is no spiritual giftedness hierarchy. It's not like, like the super spiritually gifted people are the ones you see on stage. Like the ones who preach or who lead worship or, or teach. Or like the super spiritually gifted people are the people that are on staff. And the less spiritually gifted people are, are like the ones that, that hold doors and set up tables and clean chairs. And then like the less are the student ministry volunteers. 
Like, I'm just kidding, right? That's like, like some of us would go, it's like, that's not spiritual giftedness. That's punishment. Not true, okay? Let me just say this. If you, I, and I, I, this, is, I, this is not true, okay? So don't take this as gospel. I tend to believe, right, that there's going to be, just like I believe there's going to be Chick-fil-A in heaven, I tend to believe that there's going to be a VIP room in heaven specifically for middle school volunteers, right? Yes. So I believe, so if you want to get into that room, right, See Justin after service, right? If you want to get in that VIP room, see Justin after. I, here's the thing. I know I'm not going to be in it, and I'm okay with that. Like, that's, I'm good with that. I'm, so the truth is this, though. Spiritual gifts are given by God through grace. And they are given to us for the good of the whole body. And just like no one part of the body is more or less important than the other part of the body, it's the same with spiritual gifts. They're given to serve and impact the mission of the church to care for one another, and to bring the gospel to the world. Now, here's the thing. If you don't hear anything that I'm saying today, except for this one thing I'm about to say, this is it. If you're going to take a picture of something, if you're going to write something down, if you're going to remember something today, later on when you're watching the Bengals win, right, here you go. The context of using our spiritual gifts in the church and bringing the gospel to the world is a 24 hours a day thing, not a two hours a week thing. Getting me? It's not a it's not a two hour a week thing. It's a twenty four hour a day thing. Why? Why is this the truth? Because in living the Christian life, right, becoming a living sacrifice, having redeemed, restored hearts and renewed minds with a healed view of ourselves, we don't see ourselves as better as anybody else, right? We see ourselves as one body. We are gifted, empowered by God. Here's the truth: we don't just go to church; we are the church. Being the church is a 24-7, 365 thing. The only re- if, here's the deal. If the only reasonable and logical way to worship is to give God everything, then the only reasonable and logical way to be the church and to leverage our gifts, the gifts that God has given us through grace, is to use them and be the church all the time. So what are the gifts? What are the gifts that Paul lines out here? We're going to fly through them. The first one he talks about is prophecy. You may go, well, what, well, what is Prophecy. Let me tell you what prophecy isn't first. Prophecy is not predicting the future. That's not what it is. This word for prophecy in Romans means this. It means the spirit-led interpretation of scriptural truth. To make it really simple, here's what prophecy is. It's speaking with someone and sharing a message that's inspired by and from God to them through you. That's what it is. There may be moments when you come in contact with a friend or a coworker, or you see somebody on the side of the road asking for money or you see someone, you know, outside or, or in your neighborhood and you realize, God, and I think God wants to say something to them. There may be moments where God inspires you to say or share something about him with someone. And here are two really critical things to know about prophecy. There's a reason, right? That Paul says, first off, that prophecy works in according with our faith. Here's what it means. Prophecy will never declare anything that runs contrary to the gospel. Meaning this. Hey, listen. God told me to tell you to cheat on your taxes. Right? That's not what that means. Right? That, is not, that runs contrary to the gospel. God told me to, 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 blow up, to, to tell you you need to blow up your marriage. Not true. Right? That runs contrary to the gospel. The second thing is this, right? So the prophecy is never going to declare anything that runs contrary to the gospel. And the second thing when we do this is we have to make sure that we share God's word, not our word. Where we get in trouble is this. We say something like, hey, God told me to tell you this, and here's what I think you should do about it. You and I, we're not the Holy Spirit. 
in somebody else's life. Don't try to add words to what God wanted you to say. Or don't try to share direction that may not be his. So we have to remember when we prophesy, right, then we share this truth, when we share the Bible with someone, when we speak that word to them, we have to remember that God is using us and he's gifting us to bring his truth in somebody else's life. But you and I, we are still broken people that fail and mess up. So don't assume the role of the Holy Spirit. Just make sure you do that. Hey, I'm not your Holy Spirit, but I think this is something that God may want to say to you. You can test that. You could pray about that, and we could talk about that. But I just want to be faithful and obedient and share this with you. And so what we learn is this. If, if prophecy is the gift given to you by grace, then use it. Share that truth with others. Share truth with other people boldly and faithfully. The next one that he goes to is service. He talks about the gift of service. And this gift is rooted in the awareness both the awareness of a need and the actions taken to then meet and serve that need. The Greek word for service actually refers to someone who waits on tables. And what do we call those people? Servers, right? What does a server do at a restaurant? They, they see that you, they see a need. They see that need that you ran out of your drink or, ran, or that you're done with your food, right? They see that need, they're aware of that need, and then they act on that need. When Jesus talked about himself, he often referred to himself as a servant. He said the Son of Man came to, to serve, not to be served. Jesus saw, saw needs in people's lives and acted on them. Servants, they are willing to associate themselves with the lowest of the low. Like Jesus flipped the social economy upside down when he said that the lowest will be the greatest and the greatest will be the lowest. I heard it said one time this, right? If you're unwilling to serve, what you're really saying is that you think you're better than Jesus. And now everybody's going to run over to the say yes board after service. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But seriously, if you say, no, I don't think I'm willing to serve, all right. Well, then what you're saying essentially at this point is you're better than Jesus. You think you're better than Jesus. We're all called to be servants. We are all called to serve. But some are gifted with this kind of continual, ongoing, supernatural awareness of the needs of those around them, and then this continual, ongoing, supernatural willingness to meet those needs no matter what they are, no matter who they are. And it's easy for us sometimes in the church to over-spiritualize some needs in comparison with others. But here's what we need to know about being a body. No need is more important than another. So, if God has given you the gift of service, Paul says, serve. No matter what the need might be. Serve. The next one he talks about is teaching. Good teachers hold out truths in ways that people can apply and understand. That's what it means to be a good teacher. And in the church, right, for the sake of the gospel, being a teacher means that you hold out the whole truth that's found in Scripture. You hold that out faithfully in ways that people can wrap their arms around and, and, and their minds around. That, 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 starts, that, that kind of starts to scratch the surface of what teaching is, right? It's holding out the whole truth in Scripture, in ways that people can wrap their arms around it, wrap their minds around it. But again, I just want to point out what speaking isn't, or what, what teaching isn't, right? Teaching isn't speaking. It's not being a public speaker. Teaching is not about having a platform or being on a platform in front of people. It's not about your ability to lecture or present factual information. That's not what this is. The kind of teaching that Paul's talking about here, the kind of teaching that Jesus talked about, right, when he says that we are to teach people to be obedient, 
right? It's a prolonged form of the verb teach in Scripture. That means this, teaching takes time. Teaching requires patience, and it often happens when nobody is looking. It is with both words and with actions. Again, just look at the life of Jesus. Jesus had some public speaking gigs. He had a few of those in his ministry, but he spent three years teaching and training disciples. So if the gift that God has given you is teaching, then teach. But know this, it's about investing time, effort, and energy into someone else. It's not just about standing up and sharing all the information that you think you know. The next one he talks about is encouragement or exhortation. If teaching is helping people to understand the truth of Scripture, then encouragement and exhortation are the ability to help others to do it and to live it out, right? It's a call to action. It's, it's in fact, the word in Scripture is from a military term. It's a word that brings action and causes action. It brings about a change and a shift in people's lives. But again, as we understand what this is, we have to also make sure that we know what it's not. Encouragement is not condemnation. It's not throwing stones at people. It's not shaming people. It's not yelling at people. It's not making people feel awful on purpose. That is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. But, but when we build them up with a word of encouragement, when we call them to action, that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, if the gift that God has given you is encouragement, then give encouragement. It's not hard. The last few that he talks about, we're going to go fast through these, is giving the word for giving means dispersing your resources. It's rooted in generosity. You've been blessed. Some of us have been blessed with resources so that you can be generous. Giving and generosity, those things happen when our material means collide with a spiritual motive. We should all seek to be generous, right? When you create your budgets with your family or with yourself, you should budget in resources so that you can bless people. We do that as a church, right? We just celebrated the fact that now, in 2022, we as a church give 10% of our operating budget away, and that only happens when people are generous and they give resources away. So all of us, we're all called to generosity and giving. But for some of us, it's a spiritual gift through grace. Some people have a spiritual gift of being able to make money. They do. And it becomes a spiritual gift because they use it not to prop up themselves, but they use that to bless other people. Material and spiritual collide. What's mine isn't really mine. Everything that I've been given to me is, is, is from God and should be used for God's purposes. Means and motive collide. What's mine isn't mine. I can give this away. They're all connected. But here's the truth. It's possible, church, to be materially wealthy and spiritually broke at the same time. It's also possible to be materially poor and spiritually wealthy. The key component in giving isn't just that you give or how much that you give. It's generosity. It's the willingness to care for others with what you have. It's saying, I'm willing. I know that this is going to cost me. This is going to cost me something. But I'm going to give in faith, trusting that God will make up the difference in some way, shape, or form. What we say here at Adventure is it's all about shared giving and shared sacrifice. So if the gift that God has given you is generosity, then give generously. Be generous. The last few that he talks about, leadership, that means this. It means coming to the aid of others. It means being a guardian or protector to show attention to others and tend to them. Here's a great picture of what a leader, what a leader is not. A leader is not a boss. Right? This is what it looks like to be a boss. You're sitting up, you try to sit up above people and shout orders. This is what it looks like to be a leader. That's what it looks like. The leader dives down into the mission. The leader isn't afraid to get his hands dirty or her hands dirty. 
The leader says, I'm hearing, I, I'm, I, see, I see people in need. I'm coming to the aid of others. I will be a guardian. I will be a protector. I will show my attention to you. I will tend to your needs. It's critical for us, especially with the spiritual gift of leadership, to understand that Paul's concern is not just that we have it, but how we use it. Paul says to do it diligently, which isn't to rule over. It's not to be the boss. It's not to be the shot caller. It's not about trying to wield authority or making yourself into a big deal. It literally means to care, with, care for other people with haste. And that means do it now. Not hesitating to help somebody because to, to become all that they can become. Real leadership strives, let me just tell you this, real leadership strives to see the best in other people often at, what, at the expense of what's best for the leader. That's the truth. So if the gift that God has given you is leadership, then lead and do it now. Start leading. Well, I'm not the boss. I'm not on top of the org chart. doesn't matter. Start leading. Start leading. I'm low man on the totem pole. I'm low person on the totem pole. I'm low whatever. Start leading. Now. With haste. That's what it means. And the last and definitely not least is mercy. And the word for mercy in Scripture refers to the loosing of chains and the freeing of people from bondage. If grace is the act of forgiveness, then mercy is what reaches down and pulls people out of the ditch. The gift of mercy, church, is not one that can be acted on from a safe distance. You cannot be merciful and not expect to get your hands dirty. Mercy thrives in spaces that are not safe. Mercy thrives in spaces where there's no cover. Mercy defends those who would, be, who would seem to everybody else that they're indefensible. Mercy comes to the aid of people that no one will aid. Mercy isn't afraid to be seen with them. Mercy knows that there's no such thing as an inconvenience when it comes to the gospel. Mercy is the 2 a.m. friend. I need you. Okay, I'm on my way. Which is why Paul says if this is the gift that God has given you, then show it cheerfully because there's a quote that says, nothing undermines Christian work so instantly as a gloomy face. I need your help. Fine. Doesn't work. I guess I'll help you, but I'm mad about it. That's not mercy. 1 Peter 4, 10, and we'll wrap up with this, says this, each of you, each of you should use whatever gift you've been given to serve others as faithful stewards. It's faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I read a quote that said this this week. It said, find out what your task is and give yourself to it properly. Expect to work until you're tired. Expect to keep at it even on days when you're not in the mood because you can't just play when you feel like it. Christian service isn't a hobby, though many treat it like it is. It is a divine calling that needs to be done with energy, care, and flair. Can you imagine, church, if we were committed to that? If, like we said earlier, if we were willing to see ourselves and others with this healed view, that says, I'm not better than anybody else here. They're no worse than me. We've all been saved by the same grace. We've all been saved by the same Jesus. We're all the same. You are my brother, you are my sister. Can you imagine what would happen if we did that, if we treated each other in here like that, if we treated people in here like we hoped we would do out there? Can I just say this? This isn't in my notes, so here we go. I'm done playing church. I've been doing ministry for almost two decades. And I've been in a lot of places. 
just play church. Boxes to check and a place to show up to and events every now and then and pizza and stuff like that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that with the rest of my life in ministry. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that with this church. I don't want to play church. I don't want to be that, now that's that nice little church on the corner. It used to be in a warehouse. It's on the corner of Rucker Eagle and Pinion. I, I don't want to be that. I don't want to do that. I want to be this. That's who I want to be. That's who I want to be as a person. And I recognize I've not always done that well. I've not always given God everything as a living sacrifice, right? And I'm not going to. There will be times that I screw up. There'll be times that I hold my gifts back for myself, or there are times that I do things to prop myself up. I don't want to do that. I don't want to play church. I don't want to just check boxes. I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to be this. I want to be a family that sees each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to be a family that, that doesn't let junk pile up that deals with stuff in our relationships with each other, that reconciles where we need to reconcile, that, that, that is in here what we'd hope to be out there, that we're not fake. I read a quote on Twitter, which is dangerous, but it said this. It said, most Christians are educated beyond their capacity for obedience. If you would just do what you knew, your life would change. You would just do what you knew the lives of other people around you would change but we are educated beyond our capacity for obedience i know what i'm supposed to do and when god asked me to do this my prayer sounds like this dear god no amen stop what would it look like today if you gave god a yes if your gift is prophecy, if your gift is God wants, hey, I want you to go talk to this person you've never met in this coffee shop before and share that this is what I have for them. What if you said, okay, I'll do it? What if, you, what if, that's he, what if that person is here? What if the person is here? God said, I want you to serve this person. They're sitting three rows in front of you. Go serve them. Yes. You see that need? Go meet that need. Yes, I'll do it. There's an opportunity to lead. Will you step up and tend to other people and protect other people and guard other people? Yes, God, I will. And I know that my calendar is too busy. I know that I got too much stuff going on in my days. But yes, God, I will clear those things out of the way and I will make room for you in this place and in my life. I will care for the people to my left and to my right that sit in front of me and behind me in the way that you would want me to care for them. Church, if we would do that, there would be an explosive movement of the gospel that would come from this place and it wouldn't be us. It would be Jesus. It would have nothing to do with us because we don't see ourselves as much outside of Jesus. So if that's you today, then do it. If you need help figuring it out, let's figure it out. If you've never had a chance to trust Jesus before, I would love to, to chat with you. We're going to sing a song together, and I've gone way over, and I'm sorry. I just had a lot to say. never trusted Jesus and you want to do that, we're going to sing a song here in a minute. I would love to meet you down front. We can talk about what it means to make Jesus Lord of your life. That you could start stepping into this with God life, this Christian life that we talk about. If you need prayer today, I would love to pray for you. I'd love to pray with you. We believe in prayer in this place. We believe that God loves to hear from us and responds. 
you want to be a part of this, maybe you've been sitting here going, you know what, I don't know if I want to be a part of this community or I don't know if I need to join this community. We don't have membership at Adventure, we have partnership. Because everybody that steps into this place, you become a partner in ministry. It's not a country club. If you want to join our church, you become a part of this movement. And it doesn't matter if you've been been a believer for five minutes or 50 years. Jump in. But for every one of us, it's time to get off the bench. It's time to get into the game. It's time to start leaning into who God created us to be. Let me pray for us. Jesus, today, with all that we are and all that we have, we are yours. So Jesus, we pray, come what may, do what you will through this place. Father, I pray for every one of us in here that's wrestling with this, that maybe there are times that we said, I don't want to serve, and in those moments we look at you and say, I think I'm better than you. Jesus, I pray for those who are wrestling right now with, what is it, what is it, what is it that I need to get actively involved in? Father, I pray with those wrestling right now who, are, who, are, who, who need this healed view of self, that when they look in the mirror, what they, what's, what they see reflects back to them is nothing but shame and brokenness and dirty, and that's not what you say. That's not who you say we are when we accept, you, when we accept your son. What you say is, in you, I see my son. Father, I pray for the view of self to be healed today and made whole. Father, I pray for a movement of the Spirit to happen in each one of our lives, that we would no longer make excuses, that we would start giving you our yes. Father, I just ask getting out of the way of this and allowing your spirit to move. Lord, would you do would you do something in this place and through this place to win people to you? To do out there what we to do in here what we long to do out there. And to do out there what we do in here. So Holy Spirit, come and move. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.